This is the word of the Lord from Romans 3, 9 through 20. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we think about these words this morning, I pray that you would use them in our hearts to do the work that needs to be done. Father, we pray that you would convict our hearts of sin, help us to see who we really are, and Father, I pray that it would humble us and either lead us to realize our great need for Jesus or reinforce the faith and hope that we have in the Savior you have sent, our only hope, our only way to be made right with you. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. When I was in high school in the early 1990s, a new uh, TV show came out on NBC and it had a very uh, distinctive theme music which uh, begins with dun-dun, and then after the dun-dun, you hear an uh, electric keyboard and uh, a few uh, guitar strings getting, getting plucked kind of strongly. And uh, it's all then brought together with a very smooth, jazzy clarinet sound. Um, and that show uh, with that theme music was called Law and Order. And it's arguably one of the most successful TV uh, franchises ever, um, as several different shows have been created uh, based on the original Law and Order. Uh, it ran uh, consecutively from 1990 through 2009, and uh, now here recently it's returned on a streaming service uh, for a total of 23 seasons of the show uh, thus far. Uh, the show is compelling. Um, it begins and focuses on one particular crime that's been committed uh, in New York City, and then for uh, the first half hour, it follows the police detectives as they try to solve the crime and arrest and charge uh, the criminal. Uh, then the police would turn the, the, the case over to the district attorneys and their assistants who would then gather all the evidence to make a case to prosecute the criminals in court. And my parents, and especially my older sister, loved the show, and so I often watched it 
uh, with them in those early years. I especially enjoyed the two main characters, uh, Detective Lenny Briscoe and District Attorney Jack McCoy. Uh, one of the reasons I think uh, the show was such a draw for viewers uh, like me and, and my family um, was because it allowed you to see kind of the inner workings of our criminal justice system, both those who investigate the crimes and then those who prosecute the offenders. It's a field that not too many of us know much about. And the TV show uh, revealed how challenging it can be to gather enough evidence against someone in order to prosecute them effectively. Uh, one of the big conflicts of the show was always the district attorney's unwillingness to prosecute the one that the detectives believe was the criminal if they didn't have enough evidence to move the case forward. So the pressure was always on the detectives to make sure to find enough evidence or the person that they knew was guilty of the crime would get off. And here in Romans, in uh, chapter 3, the Apostle Paul has been doing a similar thing. He's been arguing for the guilt of both the Jews, that is God's covenant people, and the Gentiles or, or Greeks, everyone else then in the world is included in Jews and Greeks or Jews and Gentiles. And he's been laying out his case against all of humanity, arguing that both Jews and Gentiles are sinners. Both Jews and Gentiles are in the same position before God. They are guilty and under God's just condemnation. And in these verses that we just read here in chapter 3, Paul is bringing his argument to a conclusion. And as we will see, it hasn't been too difficult to find enough evidence to prove humanity's guilt. Detective Lenny Briscoe on Law and Order would have loved to have had access to the kind of evidence that the Apostle Paul points to that clearly reveals that all of mankind are, in fact, sinners. But unlike Law and Order, in our passage, Paul plays both the detective and the prosecutor. He's making the case against us as condemned before God based on the evidence. But the big key for each of us this morning is how will we respond? Will we still claim our innocence? Will we try to justify ourselves? Will we argue that Paul is wrong? That he's falsely accused us? Or will we plead guilty and throw ourselves upon the mercy of the judge? That is where we are standing this morning. So our main theme then from these verses is all people, without exception, are sinners and justly under God's condemnation. So the Apostle Paul is using judicial language in this passage that you would normally hear inside of a courtroom. Uh, it's like he is setting up the scene for his readers of a, of a courtroom here uh, where we are all the accused. And Paul is the prosecuting attorney here, and, and Almighty God is both the judge and the author of the law that we are all accused of breaking. Now, the structure of the text even follows the basic outline of a court case. First, in verse 9, we have 
the charge against us, that is, all are under sin. And then verses 10 through 18, Paul runs through the evidence that shows we all sin. And then lastly, in verses 19 through 20, we are given the verdict that all are guilty and we are helpless to get ourselves out of our terrible situation. But even though this all sounds like bad news, we are left with a ray of hope in the last verse. But first, let's get there uh, through the way that Paul does. Verse 9, the charge. Here's the charge. All are under sin in verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged, there it is, charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. So, uh, this is what Paul's been doing since uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through uh, chapter 3, verse 9 here. He's been making the case, arguing the case, that all people, regardless of their uh, religious background or their ethnic identity, we are all sinners. Therefore, the ultimate condition of Jews is the same as that of Gentiles. All are under the control and guilt of sin. All are under, then, God's condemnation for our sin. All are helpless and lifeless in their spiritual state. Remember, he, he begins by stating the theme verse uh, for the book of Romans back in chapter 1, uh, uh, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed, he says, of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that is, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And we talked then about how the good news of our salvation, which is the gospel, is available for everyone who believes, both Jews and Gentiles. And it is a salvation that can be received only by faith. In order for sinners to be counted as righteous before God, we must have faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That begins Paul's gospel teaching here in Romans. So from then until now, Paul has then been arguing why both, both Jews and Gentiles need the righteousness that the gospel provides. Why they both need to be saved through the gospel. And why it must be by faith and not by anything that they could do themselves. So uh, in chapter 1, verses 19 through 32, Paul mainly focused on the sins of the Gentiles there and how God's wrath has been revealed upon them, those outside of uh, the Jewish uh, covenant. And then in chapter 2, Paul turns his attention towards the Jews and how they have also failed to keep the law of God, that they are sinners just like the Gentiles and therefore are just as guilty before God. He showed that Jews could not depend upon their identity as Jews, nor could they, could they look to their participation in the religious practices of circumcision or taking part in the festivals each year uh, for their righteousness before God. He, he, he concludes his teaching then on the Jews' need for the gospel here in verse 9. What then are we Jews any better off? So Paul is identifying here with the Jews, since he is one, 
And he's saying, no. No, we, the Jews, are ultimately not any better off than the Gentiles because just like the Gentiles, we're all under sin. That is a charge against all of us. For each of us is also included in these categories. Jew or Gentile. Everyone. Your background may be one that's like the Jews, or it may be one more like the Gentiles. If you grew up in a home like I did with, with parents who knew the Lord and, and brought you to church every Sunday and taught you to fear the Lord, then like me, your condition is like that of Paul and the Jews. You knew the Word of God. You were taught the Word of God. Maybe you thought, you know, because you went to church, because you were known as a Christian, because you knew what the Bible said about a lot of things, that you were better than others. That you weren't like those awful sinners out there that your parents and your Sunday school teachers warned you about. If that is the case, you were definitely blessed with a great privilege that, that Paul mentioned at the beginning of chapter 3. And yet, you still need to be saved. You still need the saving power of the gospel to rescue you from God's wrath because you are all under sin. Or maybe your background is more like that of a, a first century Gentile in the Roman Empire there. You know, you rarely went to church at all. Uh, you or, or your family had no real devotion to the Lord, and yet you never thought of yourself as a bad person. You never thought of your family as bad people. You sought to do what you believe is right and, and good most of the time, and you knew you weren't perfect, but, but who is, right? Well, you may not like this, but here in Romans, you are all being told that you are not at all good. In fact, you are a sinner. You are a rebel, an enemy of God. Again, verse 9 says, For we, are, we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. To be under sin points to the biblical doctrine of original sin. We are all under the sin of our representative head, Adam, the first man. We are all his descendants. We are born in this condition. We are born under sin. We are also under sin because we commit actual sin. We begin committing actual sins very early on in our lives. You, you've all been around little children, you know, not yet old enough to read or to tie their own shoes, who when given a command by a parent will look at the parent, acknowledge that they have heard the parent say the command, and yet still do the very opposite of what they were just told to do, often with a smile on their face. Parents work very hard at teaching their young children how to share, how to tell the truth, to be kind to others, the importance of those things. However, none of our children have to be taught to be selfish. They don't have to be taught to lie. They don't have to be taught to hit or push other toddlers that they don't like. They all do that very naturally on their own. 
it just reveals we are all sinners because we are born under sin. We are born under this, this original condition from our first parents who fell into sin in the Garden of Eden. We are all sinners because we are born that way and we commit actual sins. And what is sin? Sin is rebellion against God and it is a rebellion that is founded in our own sinful hearts. It is saying in your heart, by how you live, I will not have this God tell me what to do. I will live the way I want to live. As one pastor has said, sin is that which defiles a man and defies God. And each one of us, no matter if you were raised in the church uh, and won every Awana award for your Awana vest, or if you were raised just trying to figure things out on your own and believe you've done a pretty good job of it, you are still all under the dominion and controlling power of sin. We are all under sin. That is what we are all charged with here by our holy and righteous judge. But as the... uh, District Attorney Jack McCoy would ask, is there enough evidence for this charge? And so now we're going to get to the evidence, verses 10 through 18. The evidence is we all sin. We all do it. We all sin. Uh, so verses uh, 10 through 18 now. Uh, so now the, the scene changes in our, in our law and order episode. Um, we hear the famous dun-dun and, and now the camera widens to show the, the prosecuting attorney here bringing out all the evidence. And first we have Exhibit A. Exhibit A, uh, verses 10 through 12, focuses on humanity's sinful character. So he'll point to that. And then we have Exhibit B, and that will be humanity's sinful conversation of how we use our words and, 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 and to, to, to sin and to do evil. And let's just say there's plenty of damning evidence there. And then there's, uh, in uh, uh, verses um, 15 through 17, Exhibit C, where the evidence will show that we are all sinful in our conduct. And then finally, the conclusion to all the evidence will be stated in verse 19. So in these verses, uh, the Apostle Paul is pulling passages from the Old Testament Scriptures, mostly from the Psalms, uh, but also a couple from Isaiah uh, chapter 59. Uh, Therefore, he was not telling his Jewish readers anything new here. In these verses, he's not, you know, bringing up any new information for them. These are all descriptions of the human condition that were well known and are well known to most of us as well. Their problem was their unwillingness to apply it to themselves, which is also a big problem for us, isn't it? We know these things, But have we applied it to ourselves? Have we realized, this is me. This is who I am. That's what Paul is is just trying to get at here in Romans 3. So verses 10 through 18. As it's written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
So our prosecutor here is making his point strongly by using what are called absolute negatives. And he uses them six different times in verses 10 through 12. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. And then in verse 12, no one does good. Not even one. Paul emphasizes the all-inclusiveness of our sinful character. If we believe that generally most people are good, that if left to themselves, most people would choose to do the right thing, if we believe in the inherent goodness of humankind, as so many in our political and academic institutions do, well, these verses ought to convince us otherwise. God's word says otherwise, strongly, six different times. No one, no one, no one. Yesterday I helped to re referee a couple of youth basketball games here in Stanton, and uh, the first game was for uh, fourth grade teams, and the second game was for uh, sixth grade teams. And so as it happens, there was a mother who had a son on each team in fourth grade and sixth grade. And whenever I called a foul or a violation against one of her sons, I heard about it from her. <laughs> she let me know that, of course, I had made the wrong call. And I've officiated her boys' games before. I've, I've coached her boys before. Let me tell you, she is convinced her boys don't do anything wrong. Now, maybe you would admit that, okay, yeah, I, I am indeed a sinner. I would include myself in Paul's description here, but what about your kids? Maybe you think your kids would never do anything wrong, and, and if they ever do get in trouble, it's because some other kid got them into trouble. Some other kid's fault, who's a bad influence on my child, or or the teacher, whoever was in authority over them, that's the person who's wrong here, not my child. What about a loved one that you really believe is or was a very good person and probably is in heaven now because he or she was such a good person? Well, again, God's word is saying here, we just can't make that argument. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one does good. Not even one. Or as the, the, the Lord declared through the prophet Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Now verses 13 and 14 then focus on how we sin through our speech, through what we, what we say, how we communicate. And again, there's plenty of evidence to look at here. Uh, James, in the book of James, James also emphasizes the incredible ease with which we sin against God and against each other through what we say. James says in 3, 8, and 9, no human being, again, notice the all-inclusive language, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So think of all the other ways we sin with our mouths. We, we tell lies. We stretch the truth just a bit to make ourselves look better or to get away with something. We yell at our kids or we yell at others 
in anger. We gossip about others with our mouths. We pass along information that we know we shouldn't. We, we brag about ourselves or our kids boastfully and arrogantly, convincing ourselves that we are truly better than others. We slander others. We slander others that we are upset with or who we just can't stand. We tell dirty or inappropriate jokes. We make fun of others, especially when we are with others we are trying to impress. We give people a piece of our mind when we are frustrated or upset, even though the person that we are chewing out had nothing to do with why we are so mad. We use curse words and elicit language to make a point or try to fit in with the group that we are with. Or we flatter with our words and try to manipulate others. These are all kinds of ways that we sin by what we say. Our throat is an open grave. We use tongues to deceive. Venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. This, of course, is not saying that we never say anything good. We never use our mouths to, to, to do something well. But it is saying we sin with our mouths regularly and easily. We are guilty. Verse 15 through 17 then point to the violence that sinners do and have done. The first murder was recorded in Genesis chapter 4 when, when Cain, the firstborn son of Adam and Eve, murdered his younger brother Abel. And since then, physical violence has not yet stopped, but has been a constant, sad, and fearful reality in our world. Most often, it is the strong and the powerful killing the weak and the vulnerable. And these verses reveal what is known as the total depravity of humanity. That is, we are all sinners, and sin affects everything about us. It affects our speech, it affects our actions, it affects our thoughts, our attitudes, our relationships, it affects our physical bodies, it affects everything. We are totally depraved. Now, one, one pastor said sin corrupts us to the extent of twisting and tainting every part of our humanness. And then one of my fav favorite authors, J.F. Packer, put it this way. He said, on the one hand, no one is as bad as he or she might be. Thankfully, that's true. Well, on the other, no action of ours is as good as it should be. And that's also true. And then verse 18 reveals the main problem with us, the root cause of all sin. And here Paul quotes from Psalm 36, verse 1, where he says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. We don't take God seriously. We think very little of him. We don't think about him hardly at all. He has no influence over us throughout our day. We fear man. Man has a lot of influence over what we say, what we do, but we don't fear God. One writer put it like this, and I think it's, it's sadly an accurate description of America in our day. 
He said, any society that commonly assumes that God will not discipline sin in this life or judge it in the next will have no fear of God and will therefore give itself increasingly to evil. Our sight is giving itself increasingly, increasingly to evil because we have no fear of God. So my friend, what do you believe about sin? What do you believe about your sin? What do you believe about God? Does the fear of God ever stop you in your tracks? Do do you believe that you will stand before God in judgment and that he will hold you accountable? Does the fear of God affect how you live? It should. And now Paul brings us to the verdict. And the verdict, of course, is all are guilty and helpless. Verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So these two verses are bad news for us, but there is also a hint of hope in them as well. Uh, The bad news, of course, is when God holds up his law, which can be summarized by the Ten Commandments, or in what's known as, as the Great Commandment, that is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is, if you are obeying the Great Commandment, you will obey the Ten Commandments. When he, when he holds up that law, we all stand guilty before him, as we're guilty of breaking his law. And we have no excuses. We have no defense. We've all broken God's law in thought, word, and deed, and we've chosen to do so. And as we saw in the previous verses, and as we know ourselves, we are guilty of these things. And Paul makes it clear here that that the answer for us is not to try to stop sinning and start obeying the law instead. We we, we can't just strive to do better or, or change our ways to begin to obey God's law. Maybe you've tried that before. Even if we could do that, it's clear that it will never be good enough to overcome our sin and guilt. For it says, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. It is a hopeless venture to try to to win our justification, our salvation, through the law, through being good enough. God did not give us the law to be the way for us to make ourselves right with him. God was not providing a road map for us to get to heaven when he gave us the law. You know, just follow these 10 steps and you'll have eternal life. That's not what the law is. Rather, one of the main purposes for why God gave his people the law was to show them their sin. It was to awaken them to the reality of who they are. It was to help them to see their great need for a Savior. Back to my experience roughing yesterday. Um, struck me as I was refing uh, the game along with a couple of uh, Stanton's high school basketball players, you know, just how much the game has changed since I was 
uh, their age uh, in high school playing basketball. I know this, this will sound strange to some of you, you younger ones here, but, but back when I was in high school in Iowa, when the referee called a foul on you, you were required to acknowledge it by raising your hand. So we'd, we'd be playing defense, and I'd, I'd contest a shot, and the ref would blow his whistle, and my teammate and I would, would, would look at the ref and see which one of us he was pointing at as far as who the foul was on, and he'd say, foul is on 23 black, on the arm, and then I'd have to raise my hand so the scorekeepers and everyone else in the entire gym could see who the foul was on. I'm the one. It was on me. Now, I may not have wanted to raise my hand. I may have also vehemently disagreed with the call, but I did raise my hand. And in doing so, I effectively took responsibility for it. I, I confessed I am guilty, at least regarding the basketball rules. And I was reminded of that a couple of days ago when I watched an, an old, old highlight of an NBA game from the 1980s. It's amazing we can do that now um, on our computers. And, and, and uh, in the 1980s, watching this highlight of, a, of an old NBA basketball game, the players there were doing it. They get a foul call on them, they're raising their hand. That doesn't happen anymore. It's not like that anymore. Now, of course, we can still pretty easily tell which player the foul was called on because, well, he's the one that's angry and complaining and an utter di disbelief that anyone would ever call a foul on him. But in these two verses, 19 and 20 here, we are shown the first step one must make in order to be saved from God's judgment. First, you must see that you are, in fact, a sinner, that you have broken God's laws. And we see that by reading or hearing God's law. God's law shows us this. As, as Martin Luther would say, the work of God's law is not to justify us, but to terrify us. To convict us of our sin and show us that in our sin, we stand condemned before God. The law is like a mirror. It, it shows us where we are dirty. But in order for us to be cleansed, we must look for something else to help us. No one can be washed by a mirror. Uh, the, the law can't cleanse us just because, uh, 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 the law can't cleanse us just like a mirror can't wash us. We must look elsewhere. The law just shows us our problem. The law can't solve our problem. The law will also stop our mouths, as Paul puts it here. It will put a stop to all of our attempts at self-justification or making excuses. You may not believe someone when they tell you that you have some broccoli stuck in your teeth. You may argue that, that, oh, no, I couldn't possibly. But when they hold up that mirror, well, it stops your mouth. You stop your arguments against it. You, you'll see for certain that it's there. And that's the work of the law for us. When, when faced with the law, you must hold your hand over your mouth before God and humble yourself 
throw yourself on his mercy. You must stop making excuses for yourself and arguing against God as to why you are living like you are. You must do what I did whenever I was called for a foul. You must raise your hand before God and acknowledge, I am a sinner, I am guilty, I deserve your condemnation, I deserve hell. And if you do that, if you humble yourself before the Lord, and if you trust in his work of salvation for you through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, then he has promised in his word that he will give you grace. What we've been singing about today, he will give you grace. He will forgive you of your sins, and the righteousness of Jesus Christ will then be counted as yours. All people, without exception, are sinners and justly under God's condemnation, but can also be saved and reconciled to God through acknowledging your sin and entrusting yourself completely to Jesus Christ to save you. So make sure, my friends, make sure that your hope is in Christ today. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come before you and some of us may be feeling, sensing, conviction, condemnation. We know we are sinners. Lord, I pray that you would work in, in each heart, lead those who are sensing that condemnation to repent, to acknowledge who they are before you, and grasp hold of the grace that you have made available through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Lord, for those of us who have been living by faith in the Lord Jesus, may we continue to walk humbly before you, realizing that it's nothing that we have done or can do that has brought us to you, to, to you but only what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. So may we look to him, trust in him, and walk by faith in him, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.